0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that.
1: How's everybody doing? We are thrilled that you're here. You know, when I was in college, I was told, you know, you just got to realize the ebbs and flows of ministry. No one comes to the church. comes to church over the summer. And there's like eight empty seats in this room. So nobody told you guys. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, It's very exciting. Anyway, what we experience here. Can I just say this real quick? You know what we experience here at Calvary is not happening everywhere. And uh, we see people coming to know Jesus every week, people making big steps, uh, spiritual steps every week. It doesn't happen um, everywhere. And so I just, I never want to take it for granted or just assume I'm so grateful for all that God is doing. I'm grateful for you guys being here and just caring. And, like, I want to grow. I want to learn God's word. Um, So, anyway, thank you, honestly. Uh, you You guys make pastoring here very easy. So, anyway... Not all that mushy stuff. Uh, hey, how many of you are parents? Can I ask that? These are my people right here. These are my people. Um, we are the people. Pray for these people. But we are the people that are trying our best, and sometimes we end up making things worse. And uh, this is why there's that saying that you know every parent owes their oldest child an apology because uh, we were just experimenting on stuff, and then by the last one we didn't really care. But anyway, you know, we're like yeah, whatever. They raised themselves at this point. Um, but listen, but sometimes we make, up, make things worse. Dads know exactly what I'm saying. And um, because we, we want to get involved at, in moments, and we just, it just ends up not going well. And uh, we, were in, we were in Texas last week. By the way, didn't Pastor George do a great job? Wow, he did so well. He did so well. And um, so we were, we were in Texas last week um, eating way more Mexican food than should be allowed. But anyway, my, my wife was picking. Um, but anyway... We, um, we were laughing at dinner over the story that I'm going to tell you. And so uh, this was happened a few years ago, and my son and my oldest daughter, they had this uh, conflict, and I told my wife that I was going to take care of it. Now, here's the thing you got to understand, if I can sidebar for a second. Um, if I were to rate myself as a parent, um, I would say I'm someone who tries hard, but I'm kind of like, my wife is like Tom Brady. She is the greatest of all time. She is the person in any situation of parenting, she always knows the right thing to do. She's incredible. I'm like the backup to Tom Brady on the Patriots. I'm the guy whose name you don't know and makes league minimum. All right? That's, that's, that's where I'm at. And so anyway, so, um, and, and just, and by the way, my kids know it too. The other night, my kids, they wanted to eat this snack. And I'm like, uh, and they're like, oh, we need to ask mom. And I'm like, guys, it's fine. Go ahead. And they're like, well, we should really ask mom. And I'm like, listen to me. Then I took it personally, and I'm like, I'm your dad, and I have the authority to make this decision. You better eat that snack, and they're like, okay, dad, we understand. Mom told us we should encourage you in situations like this, and so, but we're going to go ahead and run it by her either way, and uh, anyway, I'm like, how dare you? Then give me the snack. I'll eat it, and so, well, anyway, so back to the story. My son, Xander, and uh, myself, we were playing catch with a football inside the house, which apparently is frowned upon in in the establishment. And so, uh, but after dinner, Xander was like, hey, can we play catch again? And I'm like, well, let's finish cleaning up. And so then I had a couple other things, and I I said, listen, uh, while I'm doing that, why don't you play catch with your sister? And Livy was like four at the time. And so he's throwing the ball with Livy, and then he throws the ball too hard, and Livy starts to cry. I come over into my care. I got this. Let me take care of that. And, um, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a teaching moment with these kids. And so I said to Livy, and I'm like, Livy, it's okay. I know you probably uh, want to hit him back. Unfortunately, that's what I meant to say. Unfortunately, what came out was, um, Livy, do you want to hit him back? <laughs> and, um, and, I, and, and my son, he gives me this look like, Dad, this is not the moment to try out a new parenting technique. And I, once I realized, and you know, you know, how all these things can happen in a moment of like two or three seconds. And I realized, I'm like, okay, no, that's not, before I could even say, no, that's not what I meant. Livy goes, boom, and just puts one right in Xander's chest. Xander goes down and he and I are both shocked. And I say, are you okay? And he's like, not really. Well, I say, are you okay? Livy thinks I'm talking to her. And she's like, she starts laughing. She's like, yeah, I feel so much better now. And, uh, and then I had to have my wife come over and fix it. I'm like, I, I don't I don't know what to do now. I think I just made it worse. And so listen, and the, sometimes we just say the wrong thing. And all of us have had moments where we've wanted to say something impactful, something powerful, something profound, and we ended up messing it up by either saying it the wrong way or we weren't really prepared for the moment when it arose. Now here's the good news. Is that God doesn't want to leave us alone in those moments. Instead, He wants to prepare us and He wants to equip us for these moments. And we get this wonderful promise that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, where it says this It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. That's an amazing promise that if we will internalize the words of Jesus, the Spirit of God will remind us of them when we need them. And every single one of us have had those kinds of moments where it's like, I was there and I was kind man, I was stuck. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And yet there's, there's this moment where Jesus is saying, us, is saying that we can have the Spirit's power to remind us to know what the right thing is to say or do. And we're gonna experience and see one of those moments Uh, in our text today, as we work our way in the book of Acts, we're going to see Peter and John having an answer for a good thing that was done. If you remember when we left, uh, the last time we were together, which was two Sundays ago, there was, that's right, and uh, (laughs) the last time we were together, we saw Peter and John pray for a man who was lame in both of his feet for uh, his entire life, more than 40 years, and then they, they prayed, he was healed, and everybody's exciting, uh, excited and glorifying God and rejoicing. And then the temple guard shows up and arrests Peter and John. And this is kind of where we left things. Uh, two men arrested for doing the right thing. And now they're going to have to appear before this court, essentially. And they're going to have words to say that are so powerful that no one will have the words to respond to them. And friends, this is, this is the place that we want to live. We want to live in the place where we're doing what's right, and when accusers come looking for trouble, they can't match the wisdom by which we speak. So we're going to start in Acts chapter four in verse 12, uh, verse uh, five, excuse me. And here's what we read. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. And as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, then let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you pause there and give me your attention, as we look at these guys experiencing God, how do we how do we experience God? And I want to look at three ways in which they see it happen and we can see it happen in our lives. So if you're a note taker, number one, and that is uh, God wants you to experience him working. God wants you to experience him working. So let's set the scene uh, because Luke mentions a couple of people, Luke, the writer of Acts, he mentions a couple of people that might sound familiar if you were with us a while back when we were doing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. He says that Annas was the high priest Uh, and then Caiaphas and a bunch of other people. Now, Annas had been the high priest. Technically, Caiaphas was the high priest, but everyone knew that Annas was the power broker. Uh, And if you want a quick little history lesson, Annas had become the high priest in about 6 AD. There was a guy named Quirinius who was the governor. He had made Caiaphas the high priest. About nine years later in 15 AD, when another governor came, he asked Annas to not be the high priest anymore, even though that's a lifetime appointment. Uh, for the purpose of bringing in someone new who was easier to manipulate. The new governor wanted someone who's easier to manipulate. So Annas, as he steps aside, and the next three people serve as high priests. The fourth one is Caiaphas. And uh, Caiaphas, by the way, is the son-in-law of Annas. The other three people that served after him were also related uh, to Annas. So Annas is the guy that is literally pulling all the strings here And so, and by the way, how powerful was this guy? That when Jesus was arrested in the gospel of John chapter 18, the first place they took him after his arrest was to Annas' house. In fact, you'll see it in John 18, verse 13. It says, And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest, that year. Now, I mentioned this this last time, but just as a reminder, uh, Annas and Caiaphas were both what are considered Sadducees. That was a religious sect in Judaism. They were the, there were several religious sects. They were probably the smallest one, but within the Roman Empire, they were uh, they were connected to Rome, and so they were really power brokers in Israel. And so they, had, they oversaw the temple that's in Jerusalem. They oversaw all the services and the sacrifices. They oversaw the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin. And as I said, controlled the temple and the sacrifices. So uh, the other thing about the Sadducees is that they only believed in the Torah. They didn't believe in the rest of the Old Testament, just the first five books of Moses. And so because of that, they didn't believe in the prophets so they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They didn't believe in the, the, uh, the kingdom of God. They didn't even believe in an afterlife. The, the Sadducees believed that you exist, you serve God, and then it's over. And as we say, that's why they were sad, you see. And so anyway... As you know, I'm contractually obligated to tell that dumb joke every time I mention Sadducees. But this is why Peter and John were arrested. If you remember, they, this guy gets healed, and then they, Peter starts preaching about Jesus risen from the dead. Now, this just strikes a wrong chord with the Sadducees, and that's why the temple police come and arrest them because they didn't, they didn't believe in that. So now, the next day, that's what we read in verse 5, so they hold them overnight. The next day, they have to appear, Uh, Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin, and they're like, by what name are you doing this work? Now, this is not a random question. This is a question that was posed in the book of Deuteronomy, which is one of the books they believed, in uh, chapter 13, where Moses says that there might come a point in time where someone comes and does a sign or wonder. There might come a time where someone uh, does something to make people, to lead them astray. And you're going to ask them what name they're doing this in to see if This would be uh, that they're trying to lead them to serve other gods. And so they're asking, what name are you doing this in? And they say, we're doing this in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, that this isn't a departure from the God of Israel. This is simply a fulfillment of all that God has said. Now, this part's a little tougher to see, but I I, I think this is so important because part of this story that we see, if we can look at it from 35,000 feet, is about how people can change if they will embrace what God wants them to do in their lives. Because for you and I, life is about choices that we make, and we have to decide whether we're going to keep doing everything that we've been doing and kind of getting the same results we've always gotten, or if we're going to trust God and change. So let me tell you a little something about me. My life is filled with instructions that I don't have time to read. And so most of the time when I'm going to do something, it usually becomes a disaster, building something. Like I'm one of these guys, you give me something from Ikea, I'm so good at it that I have a bunch of leftover parts, uh, when I'm done. Like, I don't even need all the parts that they give me. And so that's a problem. So a while back, um, the, in, in our house, the, we have a bathroom that's, that the kid, that's for the kids. And so the, the toilet in the kids' room just would not stop running. And so I had to fix it. And I don't know what got into me. This is so unlike me. But I decided before I even did anything. Now, typically, the first thing I would do it, when, if, if I'm going to fix a toilet is I would irreparably break the toilet. That's kind of how it would work with me. But what I did was, instead, I decided to watch a YouTube video on what's happening with my toilet. That may have been what I Googled. Um, and so the toilet was running. So I watched this video about, like, this is, it's a two-parter. This is how committed the guy was. So, uh, But part one was, why is your toilet running? And he's explaining to me what's going on. I open up, and I'm like, dude, it's exactly what he said. So I hit pause on the video. And I so calmly drive to Home Depot. And then I unpause, and he's like, this is the part you need to buy. I pause him, and then I'm finding what matches. I get the piece. I'm so calm at this point. Usually by the time, the way it usually works for me is I I have something that breaks. I break it even worse. I go five times to Home Depot. Then I question why I was even born, and then I tell my wife we have to move. And this is usually how the, the, the situation works. So anyway, I get home with the part. Then I start watching part two of his video. This is how to get your toilet to stop running eternally. And so I watch it and I'm like, oh, I get it. So I turn off the water, take the old piece out, put the new thing in. I'm telling you, this whole thing took me 15 minutes and, 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 and it, it, was, it was unbelievable. And, and, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I had scheduled three hours because of all the extra trips that I'd have to make. And and, and I was done in 15 minutes. And so my, I, I'm putting tools away. And my wife says, um, hey, um, how's it going? And I said, uh, I'm done. And she's like, yeah, I know it's frustrating. And she's like, wait, what did you say? I said, I'm done. You, she's like, are you done like with life? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm done. She's like, are you done done? And I'm like, I've got 99 problems and a toilet ain't one. And uh, this was, it was incredible. And so now, so let me tell you what happens is that then I could, uh, I, like I said, I was in, uh, we were on vacation last week in, uh, in Dallas, and so I had surprised my, I didn't even realize it, 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 they, they were going to be there, but my kid's favorite band was going to be playing 20 minutes away from us uh, the second or third day that we we're there, so I bought tickets, surprised them with tickets, and then we went to the show. By the way, an amphitheater, this was an outside show, an amphitheater with 16,000 of my closest friends, and um, it was, they were, had like a heat advisory, It was 111 degrees outside. In the shade, it was 105. And you know, people like, oh, it's a different kind of heat. It's like a sizzle. That's what's going on over there. It's like this is what bacon feels five minutes before you eat it. All right? A straight-up sizzle is what's going on. Well, anyway, um, so we get home. So the show ends about 11. By the time parking, blah, 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 we get home. It's about midnight. By the time everybody gets ready for bed and goes to sleep, it's about 1 a.m. Central, which means it's 2 a.m. Eastern. Okay, how people even live in any other time zone, I have no idea. Everybody, these these people live in in Central, Mountain, they're all living in the past. Like, we are the only people living in the present. Anyway, that's a sermon for another time. And so, now, everybody goes to sleep, and I, I lay down to go to sleep, and I hear water running. The toilet is running. And I'm like, oh no, we're not doing this. So now I get up and and I see it. I'm like, it is running. I tried to flush a couple times, nothing, still running. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go to sleep. There are people who put on water, like they they get apps to run water to go to sleep. I'm just going to pretend it's like Niagara Falls and I'm just going to go to sleep. And sure enough, I can't go to sleep because I know what's really happening. So I get up now and once again, now it's like, you know, 1.30 in the morning, 2.30 Eastern. And, uh, and I'm like, I gotta make a decision. Am I gonna call the front desk and I'm, they're gonna send somebody up at you know, two in the morning to come fix this or am I just gonna take care of business? So I was like, you know what, I'm doing this. I take off the lid. And first of all, this is a hotel where thousands of people have gone before me. And I mean that quite literally. And so, uh, so I, I get in there and dude, I just, and I fix the thing, put the lid back on and I'm like, I am the champion of toilets. You guys need me? You guys got a toilet problem? You call me, all right? I'm your guy, all right? Just, just leave a message. And, uh, and, so, <laughs> and so, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was walking around. I'm, I mean, I'm literally, I'm like doing my champion walk with, uh, in, in the bathroom, like, I did this. I've done this. The problem is, everyone in my family was asleep. And I have I, I had no one to rejoice with me that this had happened. And then I wake up, the first thing that happens, uh, so, and I'll, Even though I go to sleep and it's like 2 in the morning, I'm still the first one awake. So, And I'm awake like an hour before everybody else. So I go downstairs and get everybody breakfast and whatever, and I come back up, and then um, people are starting to wake up. I'm like, guys, I have a story to tell you. You're never going to believe this. The toilet, I tell them the whole thing. And they're like, oh, hey, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. That's like the greatest story ever told, besides the greatest story ever told, which is the gospel. Uh, And Anyway, I'm like, you know what, forget it. This whole great thing has been lost on you. And anyway, no one would rejoice with me. I rejoice with me now. So, and if you guys want to rejoice with me, once again, you fix something. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, none of the other services did that. I like you guys 10% better than I like those other people. They had their chance. This is why 1215 is always my favorite. But don't tell them that because I I told that to the other two services too. (laughs) Now... But I want you to think about this for a moment, right? Caiaphas, high priest. Annas used to be high priest. And all of these leaders that are there, these were the same people who just a couple of months before had condemned Jesus to die. They they, they were, once again, the same people whose servant asks Peter out in the courtyard, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? Hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? Man, your your accent is like someone from Galilee. Certainly, you're you're one of the followers of Jesus. And and Peter denies knowing who Jesus is. And even though Jesus said it would happen, it's got to be such a humiliating place to live. And he could have stayed there for the rest of his life and lived in that failure. Judas, betrayed Jesus, could never get out of that moment. Peter's life changed and he was never the same after the resurrection. And that's what I believe makes this story so powerful is that Peter went from cowering before the servants of these people to withstanding these people and pushing back on them their understanding of the scriptures. God had healed a man as they reached out and prayed for him in Jesus' name. And listen, there was nothing that these Jewish religious leaders could do. They had no words for the wisdom by which Peter spoke. And my friends, that's how you know you've changed. You change not because you think you've changed. You change when everybody else recognizes, even the people who don't like you all that much, recognize that you're different now. So look at what happens. He says, hey, it's only in the name of Jesus. And then look what happens in verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. But when they had commanded them Peter and John to go outside of the council they conferred among themselves saying what shall we do to these men for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it but so that it spreads no further among them let us severely threaten them so that from now on they speak no more in this name so they called them And commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. And they all glorified God for what had been done for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. If you pause there and give me your attentions, as we talk about experiencing God, we're saying that God wants you to experience him working. But the second thing is, is that God wants you to use your gifts. That's another way that we experience God. The religious leaders are stunned and they're stunned for two reasons. They're stunned because these two guys, Peter and John, are uneducated and untrained. Now, Here's what you have to realize is that according to verse 15, it says that they were asked to step out of the council. The the council, the Greek word is Sanhedrin. That's the group that is the 71 member group in Israel. That is the most outstanding and educated minds in Israel. There was no group smarter. There was no group that knew the Old Testament better. And most people, when they would stand in front of the council, they would crumble in the presence of the council, but Peter and John are bold, articulate, and fearless, and that's why this group is marveling. They're looking at these guys and saying they're uneducated and untrained, and that doesn't mean they were idiots. Uneducated means that they didn't have the formal training in the rabbinic schools like the scribes did, and untrained means that they were basically lay people. They weren't experts or public figures. And, and, and listen, and I, some have used this as a verse, say, getting a, a biblical education is wrong. I think that's just foolish. Because when we get to chapter 9, the book of Acts is going to shift from focusing more so on Peter to then focusing on the conversion of a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, who later be, uh, is, becomes known as uh, Paul, is probably the most educated person in all of Israel. And so it's certainly not that. And uh, by the way, I don't know if I told you this. I found out last week I got accepted into a PhD program. Um, very excited. Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited about that. And uh, so just so you know, the PhD is in Bible exposition and interpretation. Very excited about that. My kids were thrilled. They're like, so when you finish, will you be known as Dr. Franquis? I said, yes. And it also means I can perform operations on you if necessary. And they're like, I don't think you're going to be that kind of doctor. And I'm like, well how do you know what kind of doctor performs operations? They're like, I don't know, but we're gonna check with mom just to make sure. And uh, I'm sure you will. So now, listen, I'll tell you this. Having just got a graduate degree, it's amazing. And it was a huge blessing that the Lord allowed me to do. But I wanna tell you this, and this is important. That is not a prerequisite to being used by God. It's not. Um, Listen, God, and I'm grateful for this, was, was using me. When we started Calvary, I had my, uh, my undergrad in biblical studies. That, that was it. Um, but the key isn't the degree. The key is the preparation for ministry because what the council says next is so important. They were saying, hey, these guys didn't go to the rabbinic schools. They didn't go all to the fancy places that we went. But here's what they did say. If, if you look at verse 13, you see it on the screen. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, how is it that Peter and John, how could they tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus? Because they had characteristics that Jesus had. They acted like him. That these guys, they were confident without being arrogant. They were kind without being pushovers. They were wise without being snarky. And they were biblical without being condescending. And this is what happens, listen, as you spend time with Jesus. You start acting and reacting more like him, and it's a wonderful thing. And it's true for any area of life. Listen, you spend time with angry people, you're going to end up angrier in the end. You spend time with generous people, you're going to end up more generous uh, in the end. Now, I'll tell you how it works for me, is that my daughter Livy is 11, and she likes it when we have a show that her and I just watch. This is our show, and we've We've done that forever. And so we decided, we finished the show that we were watching together. And then uh, we started watching uh, this show called Fixer Upper, which I'm sure you've heard of because I'm the last person in America who has started watching this show. And I didn't understand, and I had heard of it, but I'd never watched it. I didn't understand the obsession. And then I got through four episodes of Fixer Upper. And I'm like, we are tearing this house down. And we are rebuilding. And it's like, and, I'm t- and we were, Livy and I were like, you know what we got to do? Blow out this wall. Do that. I mean, and we are like sketching out that, we, you know, I mean, and all this. And my wife is like, you're not doing anything. Like, you know, you're not. What? Are you? and So we are going in. And listen, we went, last week we were in Texas. We drove an hour and a half to go to Magnolia, which is like, I don't know, the Vatican of, you know, uh, modern farmhouse. Um, and why? Because we're under the influence of Chip and Joanna. That's why. And that's what this is. And I'm telling you, and our whole family, were so into it. And, and, and listen, here's the point. You get to choose who influences you. And if you decide that you're going to make Jesus the person who influences you, he's the greatest influence in your life, and you make it a point to be around other people, who have made Jesus the one that's gonna be the greatest influence in your life, you are gonna see God do amazing things in you and through you and for you. And this is what we see next. This is so incredible what happens in verse 23. This is their response to everything that happens. In verse 23, it says, "'And being let go, they went into the, to their own companions "'and reported all that the chief priests "'and elders had said to them. "'So when they heard that, "'they raised their voice to God with one accord "'and said, "'Lord, you are God.'" who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your people determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, and by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, And they spoke the word of God with boldness. If you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to talk about, and that is that God wants you to have a proper perspective. This is another way that we experience him. I want you to notice what happens here. Peter and John arrested by the very same people who arrested and crucified Jesus. And their first response after being arrested and then let go is not to complain and say, and pray to God, God, why did you make it so hard for us? Instead, their first response is to pray for boldness to be given to them. And the result of that prayer is that it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting, is that if we go back to verse 8, in this same chapter, it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit and then began to speak when he gave his response to the council. And so, if the Spirit, he, they were filled with the Spirit in verse 8 and then filled with the Spirit in verse 31 Why does he need to be filled with the Spirit twice? And the second question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? So let's answer that. The Greek word for filled uh, in the original language is uh, plareo. That's the word. And it means to be filled to the brim. But I don't want you to think about a glass that's filled to the brim with liquid. That's too passive of an illustration. What the ancients would describe this word as, they would think about a sail and then wind filling the sail that was pushing the ship forward. Another illustration that could be used, and this is probably my favorite one, is the illustration of a hand filling a glove, of the glove. So the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul and, and writes several books in the New Testament, um, in the book of Ephesians, he, he writes this. You'll see it up on the screen. Uh, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. Now think about that for a minute. Why would Paul juxtapose these two ideas? Why is it saying, well, don't don't be this, but instead be this? Why is it? Because there's something, there's a commonality in the juxtaposition of these two things. You see, when we talk about someone being drunk, we say they're under the what? The influence. That's right. And so what Paul is getting at, remember the glove idea, that a glove can't do anything alone, but when there's a hand inside it, there's an influence that can cause it to do great things. When you are under the influence, to, to use the phrase, of the Holy Spirit, and you just yield yourself to the Spirit, you act differently. You speak differently. You feel differently. You think differently. Now, I'm, we're not talking about being out of control, in fact, it's just the opposite. When the Lord is influencing you and leading you in powerful ways, and this isn't a one-time event. The way that the Greek language is constructed in verse 18, it could be used continually. The word, that phrase could literally be translated, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's why Peter is filled in verse 8 and then filled again in verse 31. And it's like, why do you got to keep being filled? Because as Christians, we have a slow leak. And uh, we need, that's why we're told to read the scriptures daily, to pray daily. We're told to encourage one another daily, because when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the Lord is leading you and changing you, he's making you more like Jesus. And in a very famous passage in the book of Galatians, look at what it says. It says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self control. And by the way, in that Ephesians passage, Paul is going to talk about saying, hey, be filled with the Spirit. Then he's going to describe that. And then after that, you know what he does right after that in in Ephesians? He gives the longest exposition that he gives in any of his letters on the subject of marriage. So you want to be happily married? Be filled with the Spirit. You want to have a life that's filled with joy? Be filled with the Spirit. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. Look what happens in verse 19. You see it on screen. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit or spiritual songs. Uh, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three things that Paul says here that, will, that, that being filled with the Spirit will immediately affect. He says it'll affect your speech, your attitude, and your perspective. He says, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. You know what that means? This means you're going to have a song in your heart. These songs are going to be psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I'm not talking about, your life doesn't have to be a musical. Although I think life is best when it resembles a musical. Um, But you don't have to tell your wife, you know, I'm going to Publix. Praise the Lord, the maker of bread and Twinkies. You know, I mean, now if you want to mix it up and do that, that's your business. But that's not the idea. The idea is, is that when you're filled with the Spirit, wise and godly speech is what comes out because there is something strange. You've never met anyone who was mad, who was singing a song. Isn't that strange? People who are mad are totally silent, but people who are singing a song are generally in a a good mood. You know, you've never had, you know, your boss comes over, he starts yelling at you, ah, baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, right? You've never had that happen. I mean, you're like, man, that would be a welcome change, Um, right? No one has ever robbed a bank, and in the process of robbing a bank, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Fell the money in the bank, right? It's never happened. Why? Because singing is an expression of the heart, and when the attitude of our heart changes, we will speak kind words to each other rather than words that destroy. Psalm 43, written by King David. He's going through a difficult time in his life. I'm going to explain it to you in a second, but here's what he says. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. You know, David wrote these words when his son Absalom had started an insurrection and was trying to steal the throne away from him. He had to actually leave um, his, his palace in Jerusalem had to, had to leave the city of Jerusalem and go hide out uh, while his son was trying to uh, actively trying to assassinate him. This is not a happy time in his life, and he had lots of reasons to be discouraged. But his antidote to the discouragement was praising God in all circumstances. And you know why this is so important? Because when you decide to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's reminding you of who God is. A person filled with the Spirit has a song in their heart and wisdom on their lips for any situation that comes their way. And there's a perspective of gratitude that a person that is filled with the Spirit has. Listen, you, you, you know this, but you know it's really hard to be upset when you're grateful. And it's very easy to get upset when you feel entitled. And like something that you're entitled to has been taken. So like I said, my kids are 16, almost 14, and 11. And, but I remember when they were 6, 4, and 2. And when they were six, four, and two, I had this thought in my mind that my kids woke up every morning with one thought, and that was the destruction of my home. And, um, and, and, because I, listen, you aren't a parent yet until you have stepped on a Lego with your bare foot. That is the entrance into our club. And once you have done that, we welcome you and encourage you to wear slippers. And, but, but, My kids, man, when they were young, they would create these messes of biblical proportions. And I would get so frustrated. And then, this is probably about seven years ago, um, I got a new computer. And I was transferring all of my pictures from the old computer to the new one. And as it's transferring, you know, if you have it open, you can kind of see the pictures as they're going over. At least the older computers did that. And so you could see the pictures as they're going over. And I saw this townhouse that we used to own in Miami Lakes when we first started the church because our, our church was in Miami Lakes for a few years. And so, and I was looking at the, the pictures of the house and, uh, and I'm like, man, look at this. Um, it was so neat. There was no messes. There was no broken stuff. Nothing repaired with duct tape, clean floors, clean furnitures, no toys and no kids. And I'm telling you, I had a moment in my office that day because I had never equated the mess with the blessing that God had given me. That my wife and I, it took us 10 years to have our first. Um, and now the thing that used to upset me causes me to have a grateful heart towards God. Listen, if you and I are ungrateful and unthankful, it's a sign of immaturity. And God in his grace wants us to grow up. And the good news is, listen, you don't have to do it alone. God wants to be with you and he wants to fill you and lead you if you'll yield yourself to him. And that's the beginning of everything changing. And I don't think there is a better illustration of joy no matter the circumstance than communion. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He says this in Hebrews 12. He says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now now think about that. How could Jesus be excited about the cross? He's not excited about the cross, but he's looking forward to what the cross produces, that it produces you and me, all of us experiencing grace and forgiveness, the kingdom of God that's coming. And see, Here's what I know. Is that if our perspective would change and look more like his, we would have a lot more joy in our lives. And we would have a much greater song to sing. So in a moment, Pastor George is going to lead us. And um, the ushers are going to come forward at this time. And they're going to hand out the communion elements. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. As they hand out the communion elements... You hang on to them, get them ready. We're going to partake of communion together. But maybe this is the moment for us to sing a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. Maybe this is the moment for us to uh, shift our perspective somewhat and watch God do in us what we could never think to do for ourselves. So, Pastor George, lead us,
0: please. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious
1: 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. He goes on and says, In the same manner he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We're taking the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you want to do a deep work in us, through us, and for us. You want to transform us from the inside out that we might be a people that can respond like you, act like you, and rightly reflect, reflect you in a world who doesn't know you. So Lord, help us in that. As Peter and John prayed, we pray you'd give us boldness in the days ahead. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.